mission that we have in this book. Lord, I thank you for your presence here with us in this place by your spirit. And I ask that you would help me this morning as I attempt to preach. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your peace that surpasses understanding would come and wash over your people this morning as we consider your salvation. And I ask it in your holy name. Amen. So as I was preaching um, a little bit earlier uh, at the nine o'clock service, I was reminded of an experience I had probably seven or eight years ago with God's Word. We were doing a small group study called the Apprentice Series, and there was a homework exercise given each time. And on one of the weeks, our homework was to read John's Gospel straight through, without all 21 chapters, without, without stopping. And Normally, when I do devotions, uh, my daily prayer time, I will read a little passage of Scripture and then spend a lot of time thinking about its implications. And, and so it puts a lot of the work on me to think through, like, what does this mean for me? And as I was reading John's Gospel that one time, all 21 chapters straight through, I found that this incredible peace was washing over me as I was looking at Jesus, just looking at him. I wasn't reading it to come up with a sermon. I wasn't reading it to have some, you know, application point for the day. I was just simply beholding the story of our Savior, and peace washed over me through that. I, I start with that this morning. I've added that. It's not, in my, it's not in my original sermon, so that's extra bonus for the 11 o'clock service. I added that because my main point this morning is that seeing Jesus as the Savior brings peace to us. And to that end, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2. And, and Francis, if you want to put that little title up there um, for my text, um, this, this thing is called the Song of Simeon. And I'll explain the rest of that in a minute. But if you want to follow along in a pew Bible, we'll be in page 857. And let me set up what is happening here. This is one of the epiphany readings, and this is early on in Jesus's life. So he's a newborn. He's only a month and a half old. And Mary and Joseph were law-abiding Jews. They, they lived according to what the covenant of God said. So when a newborn uh, baby came, there was a period of purification of waiting, and then there was a presentation required. And if it was a boy, there was a redemption offering required. If you go all the way back to Exodus 13, God said to Moses and through Moses to God's people, the firstborn male belongs to me, says the Lord, and you will redeem that male back. You have to buy your child back with a specific offering. And the reason God did that is he wanted his people to remember that he was the savior. He was the one that brought his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus and into the desert and then into the promised land. And he did it, as you know, many of you know, the Passover story was that the angel of death passed over the Israelites, but took the life of every firstborn male of the Egyptians. And so that was the start of what became known as the Passover. And as an annual remembrance, every time they would do the Passover feast, any, new, any boy that was born, there was, there was a, an offering that was made in the temple. So that the people would say, why are we offering this for the new baby? And they would tell the story, God is our savior. That was the point. So it was in obedience to that, that Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to the temple. Now, there's a character there named Simeon, a person, a prophet, actually, named Simeon, and we don't know much about him. What we know from the text is this. Well, we actually, we presume from the text that he was old. We presume that because he was contemplating his own death. We also have the account of Anna, also a prophet there, a prophetess, and she was old. It tells us she was 84, and she was um, also was waiting for God to come. 
and so we assume that Simeon was old. He was also very righteous and devout. He lived around Jerusalem. He was hanging out there praying every day, doing the different times of prayer at the temple. He was living by God's rules, and he was longing for what it says is Israel's consolation or comfort. He was eager to see this suffering servant that Isaiah and others in the Old Testament talked about come. He wanted, he wanted God's um, Messiah to come. So Isaiah 40, for instance, says, comfort, comfort my people. And the whole chapter talks about God's comfort for his people who are in exile. Now, they were not in exile in the same way anymore. They weren't under Babylon's rule, but they were in exile under sin. And they were waiting for someone to come and set them free from that. And Simeon was eager for that. And furthermore, uh, God's Holy Spirit was upon him. This is a little bit interesting because Pentecost hasn't happened yet. That happens later that the Holy Spirit comes on all the people of God. But this individual had the Holy Spirit upon him. And like, I mean, it's not unusual. It was rare, but it's not unusual. There were times in the Old Testament where like King David, the Holy Spirit came upon King David and the Holy Spirit came upon various prophets and did things through them. God was going to do something through Simeon here that would be helpful for us. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the Lord had told him something. He had promised him that he would um, not see death, his own death, until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so in the Holy Spirit, he comes into the temple. The Holy Spirit quickens him to understand that this particular couple and this baby, that's what he's looking for. Now, I've known quite a few new moms, and I don't know any that would feel comfortable handing a what, six-week-old baby off to a strange man who comes up to her in church. Hey, let me see your baby. But, you know, I I think Mary early on figured out that things are not going to be normal with Jesus. This is going to be a different kind of parenting scenario. And so Simeon goes over there and takes the baby Jesus into his hands. And then he looks up to heaven and prays. And he prays the song of Simeon as it's become known. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people, Israel. This is a very famous little four verses of poetry or song. It's known in church circles as the nunc dimittis. And that, that's the Latin for now you dismiss, the first few uh, words in Latin in the Latin Vulgate translation. And basically he's saying, now you can dismiss your servant, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's very commonly used in evening prayer services, kind of at the end of the day. You can now dismiss us from your service because we've seen your Savior today. Uh, it's part of the Compline service. The church for centuries has used it in part of the daily office. Not only that, but it's been picked up by a number of other people. Um, The Dutch painter Rembrandt painted a picture of this, of Simeon with the baby Jesus in the temple. Um, The poet T.S. Eliot, when he first converted to Christianity, he wrote a poem called A Song for Simeon, which picks up some of these themes. And the thing here is about personal fulfillment. That's why I wrote it's a prayer of fulfillment. It's about Simeon being so satisfied now that he's willing to say, I can die. And in a, in a time right now where we talk about bucket lists and things we want to do before we die, to find someone who says, ah, my life is fulfilled. I am satisfied now. I have beheld God's Savior. That is so refreshing to us. And so my main point is that seeing Jesus as our Savior brings us peace. Seeing him as our Savior brings peace. Now, I wonder, though, 
I wonder what things there are in your life in the world that tempt you to say, nunc diminis, now you can dismiss your servant if you were to get those things. So you can fill in the blank here. There are many counterfeits, whether it's money or a relationship or a career advancement or uh, to travel and see the seven wonders of the world or whatever. There's a temptation for us to say, if I could just do that, then my life would feel fulfilled. Then I would be willing to lay it down and, and die and go home to be with the Lord. But it never satisfies. None of those things do. So I want to look at this because Jesus is the one who can give that peace. So let's take a look at this, um, this prayer. In verse 31, I want to start there. Um, in the face of counterfeits, what we see is that Jesus is divinely appointed. And so it says in verse 31, you, that you have prepared. And just before that, it says, this is, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. God did this. This was his provision for you and for me. And if you think about it, who knows what your soul needs better than the one who created you? God knows what your soul needs, and he provided for that need in Jesus. And so this is, Simeon says, God, this is your salvation that you have provided for us, for your people. The second thing is that, um, also in verse 31, is that it is that this salvation, Jesus is the Savior of all peoples. Now, for us, we don't marvel at that because for 2,000 years, Gentiles and Jews together have come into the church. In those first, you know, 10 years or so, 20 years after the resurrection, it was a lot of Jews coming in. But then the mission very quickly went out to Gentile lands, and the church learned through uh, Acts chapter 10 and Peter and his instance with Cornelius and the Holy Spirit showing him not to call any people unclean. We learned early on that the gospel was for all people, not just the Jews. So we, we tend to take that for granted. And there's not many of you in here that are of Jewish heritage. Most of us are Gentiles. But this was an amazing thing. On the front end of Luke's gospel, through the Holy Spirit, he is proclaiming that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior of all peoples. And that word Savior can disturb us. It can disturb us because it implies that you need to be saved and I need to be saved. And the question becomes, from what? From Roman oversight? From war? And the scriptures make it really clear that we need to be saved from sin. That's where we're in exile. Our hearts are hard. We're in rebellion from God. We're separated from him and we need to be saved and reunited with him so that we can have that peace that is promised. That's what we need to be saved from. And in this season after Epiphany, and after Christmas for that matter, you know, we're celebrating Christmas and we celebrate the manifestation of the gospel to all people. We have these little bits of the story that make us uncomfortable. Nobody wants to raise their hand and say, I'm a sinner, right? That word just, it's weighty and it, and it disturbs us. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to be whole in myself. I want to be able to solve my own problems. I don't want to have to be weak. I don't want to have to admit I'm a sinner. And yet, that's the way that we get the peace. And so what, what Simeon says, he brings the baby back to Mary and gives him back to her. And then he says, this child is a sign and he will cause the rising and the falling of many people. And by that, it comes down to who is willing to acknowledge they need a savior. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I'm not the judge. Although he says, I, I could be the judge. I mean, I'm appointed as the judge, but then he says, I don't come to judge. And the reason is because his coming serves as the judgment. If we receive it, we get peace. If we receive him, we're spared. 
if we choose to reject him, which is a real choice left to us, then we are choosing judgment. And so he says, I don't have to judge. I'm here. Here's the gift. Behold me. Receive me. Come and receive the salvation. I'm going to win for you. That's the good news for us. But in verse 34, that word goes out. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. That makes us a little uneasy. Now, knowing God through Jesus is what satisfies. So Simeon prays in verse 32. He says that that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. So the Gentiles did not know who God was. They had all sorts of other gods and worshipped man-made images and the creation and the sun and the whole pantheon. There were tons of gods. But until Christ came, the one true God was not revealed. And so he's called a light of revelation to the Gentiles. They needed to know who God was, and Jesus came that that might happen. Furthermore, Israel did know God. They knew God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who's the one who came and rescued them out of Egypt, the God of promise and the promised land. And they were waiting for his glory. And God's glory was hinted at all through the Old Testament. There were moments of amazing things. God raises up these judges in the land. Even before that, God raises up Moses to deliver and then raises up Joshua to take them into the land. And then judges come up. And each time it looks like it could work and then it doesn't. And then the judges fail and the people do what's, you know, good in their own eyes and they do what's evil in God's eyes. And so then he raises up kings and it looks like, man, with King David, this is going to be amazing. But then David's not perfect and he fails. And then the monarchy goes down and then, and then the prophets come and it looks like, okay, the prophets are going to, are calling people back and God's speaking through them, but they're speaking for a fulfillment that's way down the line. And now here it is. The thing they were talking about has come and Simeon prophesies that. And he says, here it is. This is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Jesus is the thing you've always wanted. He's the thing you've been waiting for. And so he says this prayer and this praise. Now, what's our, what's the result of this, right? What do we do with it? It's interesting, but what do we do with it? Well, I think what's so powerful is in light of death, the truth of God's peace. So Simeon is saying, I'm ready to die now. How many of us could say the same? And what the gospel teaches us is that Jesus has taken the sting out of death. And so we don't have to fear it. The apostle Paul says this. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, says Paul. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the sting. If I die in my own sins and go and stand before a holy God, that is a terrifying thought. Terrifying, unless I have somebody who can be my mediator, somebody who can go between God and me and stand in the place that I need somebody to, to protect me, whose blood can cover me, who can pay for my sin and make me righteous in his sight. And that's Jesus, of course. But that's a terrifying thought to stand as a sinner in the presence of a holy God. So even when angels show up in the scriptures, you see people fall on their face in terror. I think of Isaiah when he gets his vision of the heavenly throne room. He says, woe, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips in an unclean land. All of a sudden, I mean, Isaiah's a pretty good guy. He'd already been called as a prophet. And yet, 
pretty good isn't enough when you stand in perfection's presence. And so he's overwhelmed with that. So the sting of death would be to have to come in my own abilities and, and my uh, presumably good works and say, God, you have to accept me. Look how good I am. That no one will even get those words out of their mouth because of his holiness and how majestic he is and how awesome. And I truly mean awesome. And so what we'll need is someone to take that sting out. And here he is. Here's Jesus who goes to the cross for us so that I can stand before God and say, I am unworthy, but your promise is that in Christ I can stand before you. And so here I am covered in Christ. And not only that, not only does he take the sting out of death, but interestingly enough, for Christians, death is actually something that is appealing. Not the dying process, but being on the other side of it. So the Apostle Paul, again, writes in Philippians 1.21, a personal life verse for me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the Apostle Paul was speaking to the church that he was leading, and he said, listen, for your sake, it's really good that I'm here. I can help you. I can lead you. I can keep telling the gospel to you. But for me, it is better to die and go be with the Lord. So for your sake, I hope that I stay. But for my sake, I hope that I go. Many of you know this afternoon, we have a big funeral for um, what I will call an untimely death. Uh, George Smith died in his late 40s from brain cancer, leaving his wife and two kids behind. And as tragic as that is, there's something really glorious about it. I met with George and Marcy, his wife, and we were talking, you know, maybe three weeks ago, and George was excited about what he was about to see. He was eager, even. Now, he was sad to leave his family and leave his loved ones and some things about this life that he enjoyed, but he was very clear that they pale in comparison to the glory to be revealed. And I found myself envying him, in a sense. None of us want to go through the death process, but... We want to be on the other side of it. Those of us who, like Simeon, are at this place where we have the peace of God and excitement for that. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, I want to encourage you to keep looking. Keep looking at Jesus until this nunc diminis can be your prayer. Keep looking at him until you can say, Lord, you can now let me go in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. And then as much time as he gives us in this life, we can use that to advance the kingdom, to work for him, to do things in gratitude back to him. But we do it with peace and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's look to Jesus for it is seeing him as our savior that gives us peace. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you for this glorious gospel. I thank you that Jesus has been the light to us as Gentiles, that if we see him, we've seen you. Lord, I thank you for your word again. I pray for each one of us that you would help us to behold Jesus, that we would look at the stories again, we would read the scriptures, that you would help us to sit and reflect and gaze upon your beauty. Thank you for your peace. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.